Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. folks at home, I did not realize we were doing a video episode today available on our Patreon. And I think that's the fastest that I've ever done eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. Yes. Well, you look wonderful. Wow. Thank you, Ryan. Well, I'd compliment you on it, but it's very pixelated. So it's, it's basically <laughs> your eyeliner is censored right now. <laughs> that's how it always should be. Maybe that's what we start doing. Instead of the wing, we just start doing sensor bars across the entire eye. There was some video episode where you got up at some point and I just put a giant censored thing, Leighton, over your section of the screen until you got back. Oh, right. So people couldn't see my feet. Yes. Delightful. Leighton has a no visible foot policy. In general, in life. Yeah. So whenever I'm editing the video for these, I always make sure if Leighton gets up to check for feet and then put a giant block on the screen if there is visible foot. It's part of living in the internet age. Yeah. You're a trooper. That's a good friend. That's right. Yeah. Feet is a whole thing on the internet. <sighs> Truly. It's a whole thing. As we mentioned a few episodes ago or whenever it was of how we need to like have a true detective jar and a diner jar of put a mm -hmm. dollar in every time we mention it. I feel like we need a feet jar also. Like we're going to have to have an entire like cannery of jars of topics that we should shut the fuck up about. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Although I have to say, look, Rob, you and I are both musicians with our bands that do our own weird band things. But it seems like a celebration of footness is a great planet booty. <sighs> idea like foot positivity if we can reclaim it from the weirdos yeah right turn it around i think that's it could go horribly wrong though what if you became like the official WikiFeet band wow it'd be pretty rad <laughs> i i think if you did a song solely of WikiFeet comments that would probably work yeah i'm gonna write that down <laughs> musicians love nothing more than being suggested song ideas and how can it go wrong? Let's introduce Rob real first. So everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Weck. That's Leighton. What up? Uh, that voice was Brian. And mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? I'm mystery guest, also known as Rob. Uh, <laughs> known a little bit to the Late Night crowd, perhaps as the third member of a band called Planet Booty, who's been known to... Uh, play some shows with Ninja Sex Party and TWRP from time to time. Yep. And part of the real good touring family and enjoying this whole uh, little world here you guys got. Yeah. Well, first of all, Rob, I think of you as the first member of Planet Booty. Well, yeah. So. The third one to be on this podcast. Though, yes, so. absolutely. That's right. You're the first complete band we've had on the podcast, which is very exciting. Well, and I appreciate being on one at a time because there's nothing more awkward, I find, than the whole band sitting there being interviewed <laughs> all at once. 
Yep. You reach like a terminal point on any sort of recording or Zoom call where it's like, this is not going to work. There's too many of us. Yeah. Although I would imagine when people talk, Rob, to Planet Booty all at once, it's 95% Dylan. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. And that's not a slight. That's just saying he's a very gregarious and compelling guy who has a lot of fun answers. It's a pro and a con. For as much time as I've been saying, geez, Dylan, give someone else a chance. I'm also, (laughs) I find myself pleased when I just know that he's going to jump in and field whatever the situation is compulsively. And all I have to do is sit there and look pretty. Yep. (laughs) Um, All right. right. So let's answer this question. Are there certain like song ideas or requests that either of you get a bunch for your respective bands? For me, for NSP, you know, Dan has occasionally discussed like song title ideas we've had on Game Grumps because we have literally thousands of these terrible song title ideas that we've brain dumped onto various emails over the years. And sometimes he mentions funny ones, which are funny titles that would make terrible songs. (laughs) And we get a lot of those. Like, when are you ever going to write the song? I think one was called like Inappropriate Syrup Placement or something. Like, you know, they're not good. They wouldn't be good songs. Yeah. They're very funny as titles that are too bad to be songs, but not as actual songs. So those are the ones we get the most. That and occasionally people don't understand we don't do parodies. And they're like, oh, you should definitely do a parody of whatever and make it, you know, something vaguely sexual or maybe not so vaguely sexual. So that's it for us. Rob, what about you? I don't think we get a lot of uh, like original ideas, but covers a lot. That's what seems to me to happen the most. It's just, you know what you guys should play? And it's just a song that just, it's like the Strokes (laughs) song, something or other. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Yeah. Or just, it's just a song they like. You should cover that. Yeah. We have this sort of out front, obvious, like booty, booty, booty theme that like, I think that sort of stymies people and be like, you should write a song about booty, I guess. <laughs> but Dylan's dad, actually, he comes up with a lot of terrible ideas. God, isn't that a, such a classic dad thing? Yeah. I'm going to throw some ideas at you. I think once he wanted us to do a uh, like a crab boil and so we could give everyone in the audience crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. That's Okay, that one's awesome. brilliant though. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty And that's great. just a great, just like, how can we make use of that energy without actually doing that? Yeah. I feel like you guys are maybe in the same situation we are in a sense. So obviously you're not, you know, a comedy band in the same way we are. I mean, you have comedic elements, but... Am I correct? You wouldn't call yourself a comedy act. You just call yourself a band that occasionally does some humorous stuff. It depends on the angle. I think we are perpetually trying to escape being a comedy band. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of by definition, just by being called Planet Booty, it's a comedy band. Yeah. And then by nature of having some songs that do basically go booty, 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 uh, <laughs> it's a comedy band. And it started out kind of as a comedy band, but shortly thereafter, we sort of took a tactic of, okay, that's sort of a given, and we're going to do everything we can to like try to not be that. We like being funny. If you call Planet Booty, you don't have to try to be funny. It's just funny. Yes. If you try to be serious, it's still funny. We're kind of always on that line. Yeah. When I think of you guys, I don't think of you as a 
comedy act first. I think of you as an awesome band first that has some funny songs, but also some more just like, you know, inspirational or even just straight ahead jams, you know. When we write NSP stuff, like first and foremost is every song has to have jokes. It's got to have a comedic angle. We very much lean into the comedy angle of it. I guess you could say the same thing about NSP is like just by the name, like, okay, well, you have this ridiculous name. Like you're probably going to be comedic no matter what you do. But we've taken kind of the opposite tack that you guys have, which is like we want every song to be a comedy song explicitly. I don't know if that'll last forever with the band, but possibly. Well, and I can remember first listening to you guys and we're sort of like Ninja Sex Party, what are they? And we sort of listened to it. You know, as I imagine any newcomer, the first thing you experience is the comedy. Right. And you, you know, you put on what are the hits or whatever and you listen, you hear the jokes and you hear the goofiness and you're like, oh, okay, it's a comedy act. Yeah. We knew you through twerp, so we had like a little more of a musician's connection. But even so, right. I don't think until seeing you live it doesn't lock in that you're like Rush fans and like rock and roll. And like, there's actually some meat there. And you're yeah. like, oh my God, okay. It's not just goofy cartoon that you put together in a box. You know, it's, oh, there is an actual thing. But it takes a while to get to that point. And I think it's the same with both bands. Well, especially if you start with our first albums, which are entirely, you know, digital music. And I didn't have the infrastructure to really bring that side to the fore in the way we do now with twerp right so i think it's very especially that first album it's not like super pro you know it's like it's kind of slapped together in a way that i like but the music is not at the forefront in the way it currently is in regards to like putting jokes in songs how much brian do you focus on like bit frequency within a song. And I ask this because when we were writing Dream Daddy and we were having people look at it, I remember you looked at it and you were like, the joke density needs to be higher. Like there needs to be more jokes for every few minutes. Well, I mean, we think a lot about it because a typical song of ours is two or three minutes long. Like as many typical comedy songs are, it's very hard to find a thing you can sustain for even four or five minutes if it's an explicit comedy song. We basically say we get maybe a half verse of setup, and then it has to be jokes constantly, or it's not a comedy song, basically. We don't say, oh, we have to have X number of jokes or anything like that. It's not like a math formula, even though, God, I wish it were. But we say, if this isn't funny, we shouldn't be doing it. So pretty much not every line has to have a joke, but pretty much has to be set up joke, set up joke, set up joke throughout the whole song, or... You can pause that a little longer if the joke is big enough at the end, right? Right. And the other thing, like Rob was kind of saying, is sometimes the joke is just that you're saying a particular thing in a particular way. So it's hard to define that as joke density, right? Like it might be the style that you're saying it in musically rather than the actual words. So I think musical jokes are a little harder to parse in terms of density in that sense. That's a fair and good answer. Thank you. Yeah. Rob, I love that your dog is just chilling in the doorway this entire time. It really adds like a certain ambiance. I wouldn't exactly call it chilling. He's desperately waiting for me to throw his toy shark for him. If you're clicking in the background, that is a dog. Yeah. I do love that your brown curtains match your dog's face. Like that's some good interior <laughs> decorating. Yeah. Density is an interesting question. Whether it's there needs to be jokes or whatever. Like I see it as more of... 
you just keep thinking of new things. They're like, oh, that could go in that spot. Oh, that could go in that spot. Yeah. Uh, something that's deliberately more comedic, like in an NSP song, like you could see how all these little asides that get thrown in there. Right. You could see just, oh, there's like a little spot you could throw that in. And we do that as well. Dylan is especially into that. Dylan abhors a vacuum and must put <laughs> something in it. But it's not always a joke. A lot of times it's just like something has got to happen. Yeah. Like he already had that syndrome and it's only advanced with the, you know, competitive social media, internet uh -huh. landscape, especially in the last couple of years, trying to do more video content and sort of like get our heads more into like the YouTuber kind of realm of just like yeah. content, content, comedy, comedy, and like making these videos, like shooting something for two hours and then making a 30 second promotional video about it. And it's just going to be sort of like, there's like a second of dead space. They're going to keep scrolling kind of thing. So it can go a little bit too far sometimes. Yeah, for sure. There's been a really interesting paradigm shift from like Vine seven seconds to TikTok where it isn't like one minute the max for TikTok. They've expanded it for some accounts. I got some noticing my account was I could do longer stuff even though I haven't used it. But it's like I think one or three minutes or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm positing here is that a lot of Vines, seven seconds. That's like no time. You have to get so much information out so quickly. With TikToks, the thing that I notice when I watch them is if it's going for a minute, this TikTok is too long. 100%, yes. And there's like pacing issues and joke issues where it's like, if this was 20 seconds, this would be perfect, but you were dragging this into a minute. It doesn't have to be a minute long. That's the thing that's so fucked no. up about these TikToks. It's like, you could do a Vine level thing and that extra two seconds might help you. Do a 10 second TikTok, nobody fucking cares. But I completely yeah. agree with you. They drag these things out to the extent where you're like, this actually was a fun idea that you have now rammed into being awful by not editing yourself. Yeah. 100%. You can also get away with like, not being a good actor or not selling it or whatever if it's a couple of seconds. But when it's a minute and you're like actually doing a sketch, it's like, oh, this is painful sometimes. What is with the TikTok thing? I'm sure you guys have seen that where they turn on the robot voice that talks like this. If you're looking for a good meal in San Antonio, make sure to go to Mama's Taco. It's like what I don't understand why that is compelling. I know nothing about TikTok, but the way that people are really good about like the accessibility of captioning things, I wonder if it's just like, instead of record a VO for this, I can just write this and it will, you know, automatically give the creepy voice that makes everything unsettling. Yeah. And I understand people are doing it for comedy a lot of times. The accessibility thing is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It's a thing that I'm consistently surprised by with TikTok that people do put the work into like captioning stuff. Like that's awesome. Oh my God. It's such a pain in the ass to do, too. Yeah. Like, I do want to do more stuff on TikTok because I think there's a lot of cool stuff, fresh stuff, rad stuff, hype stuff on there. And uh, I want to, what? Why did you shake your head, Layton? I was just shaking my head. Okay, you know, she's, she's saying, don't do that, Brian. Don't do that. Don't do what? That was a yes, go on head shake. Use modern <laughs> slang that the teens use. I think about the Garth Brooks Facebook thing when he first started his Facebook account. This is probably 15 years ago or something. He put up a video describing the kind of stuff that he wanted to put on his Facebook. And it's like cool, ch cool stuff, chill stuff, raw stuff, but mostly <laughs> real stuff. And I can't remember his exact phrasing, but it was something along those lines. And it's very much worth 
watching because it sucks. <laughs> anyway, my point is I ask myself a lot, what's some fun stuff I can be doing on TikTok? And I have ideas and I'm like, oh my God, but it's so much work to fucking edit that and caption it. And I just don't have the time or energy to do it. Yeah. When we did that TikTok NPR thing for Bright Spot. Bright Spot, yeah. Even just doing like two very short TikToks, that was too much work. It was too much. I don't want to do that amount of work. Rob, are you guys as Planet Booty on TikTok? I don't think we have a Planet Booty account. I have avoided the TikTok bandwagon. I keep hoping I'm just going to miss it and the next thing's going to show up, but that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Same. Josh is heavily into TikTok. Yes, I've noticed that. Dylan wishes he was into TikTok, but he doesn't <laughs> have time for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was at that specific point in my life or whatever. I was just like, I can't go down that hole. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> I was there for a long time. So Leighton, something to understand. Uh, it's probably not obvious, since why would it be, is Rob and I are exactly the same age. We fulfill largely the same function in our bands. We're both with women named Rachel. Yeah. We have these parallel lives that we've been living. Wow. And Brian, you wear the same glasses when you wear glasses. That's true. I wear very similar glasses when I wear glasses, when I take my contacts out. That's why he's not wearing them now. They're actually the same pair of glasses. That's right. Yeah. We have to FedEx them back and forth. Very large FedEx bill. <laughs> Joint custody of the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're so cool. That's the problem. They're so cool. It actually comes out cheaper that way. That's right. <laughs> So I was exactly at this inflection point. I was like, I'm 46. Everybody on TikTok on average is 25 years younger than I am. Do I really want to fucking do this? <laughs> and after, I don't know, a year of saying, no, I don't. I was like, okay, well, I guess I do. And then did a couple of videos and promptly ignored it. What turned you around? Honestly, it was Hank Green. It was Hank Green talking so much about TikTok on Twitter and about what a great forum it is for science communication. And he was having a lot of success with it and doing interesting, cool stuff. I was like, here's a person I can point to who it's not just dumb memes. It's like content that I actually like and I think is adding something to the world in a positive way. So, mm. and then through him discovered a bunch of other science communicators who were on TikTok, a bunch of other musicians, then, you know, through other musicians I know. And the music stuff is great. The science stuff, look, obviously, there's some uh, dubious scientific opinions racing around on TikTok. But the people who are dedicated science communicators who know what they're talking about are doing it very well on there. I think it's a really great forum for science communication. So it was honestly just pointing to someone I respect who I thought was doing it really well. And then, you know, I basically looked at his TikTok and I was like, who's he following? Saw a bunch of other great psychomers. And basically I was like, well, I think I was wrong about TikTok. There's actually some great stuff on here. You called them psychomers? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what people call them. Psychomers. Yep, psychom. It just feels dirty for some reason. You've never heard that term before? No. Yeah. I still don't know what that means. Science communication. Oh, okay. Yeah, science communicators, basically. SciComm is now, I'd say that's a pretty accepted abbreviation. I went to a thing, or I spoke at a thing, I should say, called uh, SciComm Camp here in LA. I'd say people identify this way as, as I am a science communicator, a SciCommer. And yeah, I think there's lots of good ones out there. So that's what changed my mind. 
I feel like it's just way easier to say that you're a nerd and move on with it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but nerd is so many different types of nerds. Yes. So true. Everyone's a nerd now. Nobody is not a nerd. That word means nothing now. When it became cool to be a nerd, it got impossible to keep track of. That's right. When it became intensely monetizable to be a nerd. Yeah. So, Rob, you and I are old enough to remember what it was like growing up being into nerd shit you know, in the 80s, when it was not cool and fun, people didn't like you a lot of the time. Yeah. I was never openly nerdy, I don't think, but I just sort of decided I was nerdy since people didn't like me. It was almost the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was into all the classic, like, 80s nerd stuff, you know. I've told this on the podcast before, but I was into D&D, but I didn't have enough friends to play it with. So I got all the books and got all the polyhedral dice and would read them alone in my room at night, hoping that someday I would find a Dungeons and Dragons game. And I only actually have played D&D like twice in my life. And both of those were when I was like 14 or something. So watching, for example, Stranger Things is like, yeah, I get it. That's (laughs) that's what it was. I wish I had been as cool as those fucking Stranger Things kids. Yeah, those kids are actually pretty cool, you know. Yeah, not me. They have friends. (laughs) Yeah, they get to go to another dimension. It's fucking awesome. (laughs) So, Rob, I'm assuming based on the comparison between you two, your keyboard? I do play some keyboard. So much more than that. I mostly play bass. Oh, hell yeah. But I am, piano is my first instrument. And so I play a little keyboard sometime. I do a lot of the synth stuff and the production whatnot electronics type like me you lay down or at least in the early versions of nsp you're responsible for the bulk of the instrumental work done on the albums right these days yeah i sort of inherited that mantle from dylan's older brother nate right who started that whole trend i'm curious since both of you sort of have that role within your respective bands, and I guess, Brian, we've talked about this a bit, also considering that we've made music together on minisodes and such, but, like, Rob, what is your approach to, like, laying stuff down, especially as, like, a bassist? It's sort of has changed a lot based on practicality of what the scenario is. This last album that we just finished, coming out September 21st. Which we need to promote very hard because... A, I'm on one track. Is that right? Yes. And other than that, it's just a great album. I think it's going to be good. But this was being our pandemic album. I had a much different approach to it. We did a lot of vocal recording at my house because probably the last several albums, we've gone to our buddy Aaron Hellum, who has a little studio. You've been to his studio. I have. That's where you recorded that track. That's how old that song is. Yeah, it's finally making it out into the world. I mean, that was three years ago now, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Crazy. Some of these songs have been waiting in the wings. Some of them are brand new. But for a while, I would sketch out a demo and I'd put some sort of janky, you know, electric drums and synths together and put a bass line together. And I wouldn't work too hard at it because I knew I would bring it to him and sort of dump these tinker toys on his lap. And he'd, you know, sort of change everything and make it sound big and cool and amazing. And I'd record the bass direct at his uh, spot and everything. And it's just, I would just sort of like be hands off and let him take it over. This last go around, he's still done the final, you know, mixes and production and everything, you know, making everything sound professional and amazing. But 
I've done a lot more of uh, pre-production or whatever you want to call it uh, on my own, which has actually been interesting and given me a lot of opportunity to do things that I didn't before, like a technique that I know a certain bass player in another certain band (laughs) we happen to know likes to uh, employ, which is to put down the bass line, get the vocals done, and then do the bass line again because you can you know, move in and around it. I remember there was some video I watched years ago that was just like, I'm going to show you one tip how to like make everyone think you're an awesome session bass player. And, you know, you just scroll for like 20 minutes until he tells you the tip, which was don't play when the singer is singing. (laughs) (laughs) Or like don't play fills when the singer is singing and play around the singer. Yeah, yeah. Seems obvious, but that's something you don't really get to do when it's like you do the drums and then you do the bass and then you do the synths and then you do the vocals and just being able to have more of a all around come back to it and weave the layers back together was actually real nice to be able to do this time around, even though it was only that way because everything was broken and horrible. Great. I see it a lot like sculpture, not that I'm a sculptor, but how I imagine sculpting is. (laughs) Yeah, you're sculpting sound. I think I've heard some description of it. You just like lay down tons of stuff and then you just chip away everything that sucks. Mm -hmm. And like what's left is awesome kind of. Yep. Take everything that's not Rodan's thinker or whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I'm also, I make money doing software work. It's a very similar approach. The iterative process of just like, you don't know where you're going necessarily, but you just like, put stuff down and you put it in there and you get in this zone of, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is great. And then you have to step away and then you come back to it and you listen to it. You go, oh no, this is horrible. (laughs) Yeah. And you take the stuff out that's horrible and you, oh, but that one little thing and it might even just be one little thing. You're like, that's tight. I'm keeping that. And now (laughs) that's there. That's your do. And then like you keep doing that. And part of why it takes us forever to make albums because we all kind of work like that. We don't really know where we're going, but When you get some perspective on it, you know if you like it or not. And eventually you just keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, and you keep polishing it and eventually end up with something cool. Yeah, I totally agree. There's like a comfort in how like every creative discipline is like that of just like beating things out because, you know, being a writer and an artist, it's the exact same thing of like, I think with writing, I refer to it as like building the skeleton and then fleshing out the skeleton and putting muscles on it. And then you have the fascia, which is like the connective tissue and all that shit. Mm -hmm. But it's nice like moving into, because I had never really touched music stuff before. And in the past year, I've started getting into it. So like the idea that it's like, okay, this is the same sort of approach in a different way of just like you beat it until it's something. Yep. I mean, it's that way in science too. I guess life in general. Yeah, you just keep layering shit on. Look, in science, obviously, you can be right or wrong. But at least in the kind of stuff I did, you just are trying a bunch of different stuff. You keep building up. You do all these stupid, like, calculations. You double-check them, make sure they're right. And then 99% of it doesn't go anywhere near the final paper because you're like, well, okay, I know that, but no one else will care, and it's kind of irrelevant to the point, which you discovered only, you know, six months into this giant pile of papers because you're like, oh, there's the interesting thing I was trying to show. So, you know, whenever you're writing a science paper, you start with this like 100-page draft and you whittle it down sometimes to like four pages. It's the way it goes. Okay, so actually one thing with production. I love talking about this with musicians. I find when I'm writing, 
I've never used this term before, but I, I think I like it. An enthusiasm hangover where I'm writing this thing and I'm like, this is awesome. I can hear the whole history of how I came up with the idea and, you know, okay, I got this drum beat and then I put this line on top of it and I'm like really stoked and I kind of have this like lingering sense of where it came from. And then you cut that out, wait for a few days, come back to it, and then you're just like, fuck, this is bad. <laughs> now that I like can't hear what went into making it, I hate this. And yep. then you just scrap it and move on. Does this exact thing happen to you all the time? A thousand percent. This is something Dylan and I talk about all the time. Did you call it an enthusiasm hangover? Yeah. Pretty good. I think of it in terms of like, you have this idea in your head of what it sounds like as you're sculpting it or looks like or whatever it is. You've created this construct in your brain. Then there's the actual thing that you've made. And somehow you're fooling yourself into thinking they're the same thing. Yes. And it's not till you go away and let that fog dissipate and you come back and you're like, what was I thinking? Yep, 100%. Or the thing that happens to me a lot is you're like, oh man, this one's, it's like all about the baseline. Like this song, it's all about that line. And it's the first thing you came up with. And then you set it aside and you come back to it and you can barely even hear it. Like it's nowhere near yeah. the thing that stands out about the song. It's just basically buried and it doesn't matter anymore. So- I find that happens to me all the time. Like the part that was really like front of mind, the thing that stuck out to me is just gone in the mix or in the demo or whatever. And you're like, well, this doesn't cohere at all unless that's the grounding. As a bass player, I think you get used to that a little bit earlier in life. <laughs> right. <laughs> just being like, that's ah, not going to be heard. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys get the thing where you do the shitty version of you know, baseline, whatever. And you're like, okay, this sucks. But then when you go to do the better version, you can't get the shitty version out of your head because in my limited music making, that happens constantly where it's like, this version isn't even good. 100%. That's called demoitis. Demoitis. <laughs> wow, okay. Dylan gets it really bad. I get it a little bit. It's like having that temp track in when you're scoring the movie. Like everyone fucking falls in love with it. And then you're like, just go use that instead. You know, it happens all the time. And a lot of times mm -hmm. what I find, especially with, this happens to us mostly with vocal performance, is that that there was something about that first demo that just like had it. It had the enthusiasm or the vibe or whatever it fucking is. I don't even know. Like there was just something about it that nailed it. And I'd say for our stuff now, half of any vocal track is going to be from the original quote unquote demo. When we lay stuff down, there is always a chance that anything we do is going to make it into the final. There was just something about it. And it's very hard to distinguish when that's real and when it's fake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you point to any of those in Ninja Sex Party songs or are they all just kind of lumped? Literally every song at this point like has probably half demo vocals in it. If you think about it, it's sort of the corollary of what we were talking about before. Just because you think you're putting the good thing down doesn't mean you're putting the good thing down. Like, yeah. sometimes you think you're just throwing it away. Sometimes you think you're doing the good thing. It's really 50-50 on whether you're making a good thing in the end. Yep. And like your intention doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. Nope. Who's the guy that, the famous composer that wrote everything, he did the Simpsons theme and- Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. There was an interview with him where he was talking about that and he did, was he Jack Skelton? Tim Burton? Yeah, he did the singing voice of Jack Skellington, yeah. Yeah, 
he was telling the story. He did a demo for that, and then like three years later or whatever, they're like going to do the actual movie, and he's in there doing it. And Tim Burton's like, "Can you do it like you had it before?" He's like, oh, "What? I don't know. That's weird. I don't know. I don't get it." And he just couldn't do it. And a lot of that, they used the original demo. Yep. Even big time Hollywood, it's the yeah. same thing. One example I thought of Layton for NSP that's not vocal is on our last album, the song "Wondering Tonight," which is a raunchy and very tender ballad. I did the piano part for the demo, which was like MIDI piano. You know, we did it in in the studio, and then we went to an actual studio. I did it on a grand. I did it on an upright, and both of them were just like, "Nope, that's just is not there." There was something about that original MIDI piano, which was not a bad. I mean, it was like a you know legit sounding piano. If you listen to it, you wouldn't know it was MIDI. But there was just something about that original performance that was better than on, you know, a fucking real grand piano. Just didn't have it. And so that performance you hear in that final song is there might be a few flourishes and stuff from the analog pianos, but it's pretty much that original MIDI demo. I think with like drawing and visual art, like every artist I know, there are just times where you do the sketch and then you do the final piece that you put like nine hours in and it's like, yeah, the sketch was better. Like lost it. There was an energy there. It worked. This is cool, but it ain't the same. For sure. Getting back to the piano thing, I was just saying there's also sort of a fetishization of fancy instruments that plays into that too. Of like, of course the grand piano version has to be better. No, it doesn't what kind of piano is is like such a small part of it unless you're you know reimagining Rachmaninoff's whatever for the 1800th time and you want it on the best piano possible but no you're creating something original and interesting and like that has nothing to do with like a fancy piano totally and this is one thing i am very glad that i'm not a gearhead at all i'm mostly a sax player and then a pianist You know, I've never been a guitarist or anything. I don't know anything about pedals and that sort of stuff. I've never really had to use amps that much, at least for my own stuff. I don't know anything about it. And I am very, very happy because I feel like if I did, I would get super distracted by exactly the thing you're talking about. Yeah. I'm curious, Rob, what is your music theory background, training, blah, blah, blah? Like, are you a music theory guy? I have like, you know, a basic foundation of, uh, you know, I grew up taking piano lessons I did uh, started out as a kid with just sort of your basic classical lessons and then moved to jazz lessons. And then here and there, I didn't go to like music conservatory or anything, but here and there I've done like jazz piano, like Berkeley jazz school, kind of just night class, whatever kind of stuff. Yeah. A class here, a class there. Sort of the same way that I've learned Spanish. I never really fully learned it, but I've sort of like picked (laughs) up a little here and a little there. Yeah. And you can get by. Yeah. So I have enough to like find my way around and figure it out, whatever it is. Like I understand the fundamentals of it, but I can't just start talking about, oh, that's a Phrygian, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I can't just rip out the knowledge like some people can. Yeah. And Leighton, you were at the beginning of your music theory journey. Is that correct? I guess. I don't know. I'm in the just completely fuck around stage. I'm just like, yeah, sure. I don't know. This works. Question mark. It's such a hard call because I think, again, for you know me, I, I went very deep down the theory rabbit hole. I mean, I have a music degree, mostly in composition. Like, I did a lot of music theory in college, although I think it helps me write music. There is a, definitely an extent to which it's like 
Stop fucking thinking about it so much. Just like do it. Like get out of your head. Nobody cares what this chord is. Like what feels right. Danny is 100% feel, has literally zero music theory, doesn't know what anything is. And that's not a bad thing at all. And in fact, it's quite a good thing a lot of the time because his reactions and instincts are based totally on, hey, what do I think is going to work? And I am of a temperament where I want to understand the underlying principles of everything. So I love music theory. It's the same reason I love theoretical physics. It's just like you're getting in there and figuring out why everything works and what the secret structure is. It's not super visible. But sometimes it is a real hamper to like just fucking doing it. And there's no right answer. It's just an interesting thing to me what everybody's, you know, personal taste and temperament has found is the right combination for them. Because I, I think for Dan, music theory would ruin what he is trying to do. Like that guy should never learn music theory. It won't help him. It'll make what he does worse. You know, it's interesting. Dylan and I have, once again, a very similar dynamic. Dylan knows very little music theory. He's been trying to learn a little more over the last year for his trumpet playing mostly. But he, he has an amazing ear. Yep, same with Dan. And it often takes the two of us working together to figure something out. Yep. It happens a surprising amount that we'll have some big like synth chord like stacked up, like burn, there's some vocals on it. And Dylan will be like, something's not right in there. Wait, no, play that, no, it's not, what, it's like, uh, uh, and he has no vocabulary to express what it is. And all he can do is sort of paw around. But then what I can do is I can say, all right, what is this? This is a A major and that's a fifth and that's a, oh, maybe that should be a flat instead. That would make sense. Let me try that. And Dylan would be like, that's it. And like, I never would have <laughs> yep. heard it, you know? Like I can like methodically Same. figure it out, but I don't have the ear in a weird way. Yep. Two totally different skills. I mean, I'd say that's basically identical to me and Dan. He can just hear it and be like, that note's weird. And then he'll sing it and you're like, okay, we'll change that. And yeah. What's interesting with Dan, too, is Dan is a big prog guy, so he will hear these things that are super, like, out there harmonically, but make sense to him in a proggy way, where I'm like, oh, I guess, yeah, we could do that, because that's the flat 13, uh-huh, I guess, you know, same type of relationship, and it is a nice compliment to have. I feel like any creative partnership in any discipline, it's important to have, like, the well-roundedness of, like, you know, somebody who's really good at feel, somebody who's really good at structure, and then working together is like the synthesis of that. Yeah. A screenwriter friend of mine described a partnership as the gravity and the float. And one person is the gravity holding it down, and the other is the float who can kind of go off and sort of explore. And that changes sometimes who is what role. And it's not all yeah. one person is always being the gravity and the other person is always being the float. But I found that an interesting and useful framework for thinking about it. And I find for songwriting, often the theory person is the gravity and the feel person is the float, even though that's not always true. Sometimes it's a theory person who's like, well, I think if we tried this note on top, that'd be like, cool. It's a bit situational, but I like that way of, of thinking about it. Yeah. Brian, I feel like, I guess in the way you said, like having too much knowledge is a bad thing sometimes. Like there's this extent to which once you've like gone through all the theory once and you're like, okay, that's how it's all structured. And then there's sort of this sense of, well, you can do whatever you want now. Nothing matters. Yep. 
So I feel like that's sort of why I don't hear the wrong notes. Cause I'm like, what's the wrong note? There's no, you, yep. there's no rules, do whatever you want. Yes. But someone like Dylan or Danny, that's sort of a little bit removed from it. Like, no, there's a right way to do this. For Dylan, right. it's whatever Prince does. That's the right way to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. He doesn't know what that means, but there's a right way and a wrong way. And he can hear if it's right and he can hear if it's wrong. And like my yep. brain's unwilling to make that judgment call, kind of. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a lot of my favorite stuff are these atonal operas from the 30s. And when that's your jam, it's like, yeah, fucking, of course, who, who cares what you do? Just mean it. And then that's a good choice. Yeah. But then they talk you into fixing it and it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that did make sense. hundred <laughs> percent. It all kind of gels now. This has always, always been the struggle with me and Dan is I want to take weird harmonic chances and fuck stuff up. And he's always like, Mm-mm, dude, this just sounds bad. And he's not wrong, by the way. Like, he's not wrong. Part of what I like is sounding bad, but uh, it goes back and forth. Shall we segment? Yes. Let's move on to some segments. So our first segment, Rob, is our pop culture recommendation segment where you get to recommend a book or movie or piece of music or video game or whatever, something that you've been enjoying recently. The segment is called What's Poppin'? And the theme song goes right here. Now, as I tell all of our guests, we do add this in post, so you're not hearing anything right now. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? All right, Layton, what's poppin'? You're allowed to throw to me today. You earned it. Thank you. I'm always allowed to throw to you. It's my fucking podcast. Okay. Okay. (laughs) If you guys need me to step away while your work just out, it's fine. (laughs) Um, no, everything's great. What's popping for me this week is not one specific thing, I guess, but I did a reread of all of Gillian Flynn's uh, novels, so Gone Girl, Sharp Objects, oh. and Dark Places. Mm-hmm. I had not read Dark Places. I think Gone Girl, the book, is amazing. Is that the most recent? I don't know. It's the weakest of the three, in my opinion, but... I love Gone Girl, the book. I hate Gone Girl, the movie. Sharp Objects, the book, is one of my favorite books. And then the miniseries is fucking amazing with Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson. Yeah. Just great. Love it. And Eliza Scanlon, like, she's so good in it. But yeah, I highly recommend if you folks have, like, only seen Gone Girl, the movie, which I think structurally works so much better as a book, like, for a lot of reasons. But if you haven't read Sharp Objects or Dark Places and you like Gone Girl... Highly recommend. They're super readable, super dark, like just really fun. She's a great writer. I've never read any of her stuff. People rave about it. They say she's great. I've just never, never done it. It's good. It's snappy. She's good at dialogue. Like it's the appropriate amount of morbid for me because I can't read anything happy or nice. So yeah, they're quick. I mean, they're like dense, but it's one of those things where it's just like so readable that it doesn't feel like anything. Uh, So that's what's popping for me, Rob. Great. What's popping? Just dumb web comics, man. <laughs> just getting into this breed of web comics, mostly on Instagram, that are just uh, finding that line of bizarre and not really having a punchline, but having a punchline. Mm-hmm. Sometimes having two punchlines. Just to call a few names out, there's one called Yo Yo Robot, which is pretty good. This is on Instagram, you said? Probably everywhere, but I see it on Instagram. There's another one that's just called Web Comic Name. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one a certain formula but it's pretty good but yeah i think yo-yo robot he has a whole side series within yo-yo robot 
about Bagel High, which is a whole bunch of high schoolers <laughs> who are also bagels, uh-huh. which is a funny concept, but those don't hit as hard for me as just as one-offs that just, as I'm scrolling through the uh, infinite sadness of the universe, they give me a good chuckle. All right, I'm following Yo-Yo Robot right now. Brian, what's popping? What's popping for me this week is, it's kind of the talk of the town recently. It's the HBO series, The White Lotus. Oh yeah, I've watched some of that. It's funny, it's good. It's wild. Was that your popping last week? No, it was what I started to say and then uh, switched. Okay. Because it was kind of a fake out. I was almost going to make that my white pop- my what's popping. Yeah, well, it's funny you say white popping because it is very much about whiteness <laughs> and colonialism and privilege and capitalism and all that stuff. Layton, do you know anything about this series? Vaguely, we had this whole discussion where it was like, ah, oh, Jennifer Coolidge, she's great. And then we talked about Jennifer Coolidge and uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so it takes place basically at a fancy like Hawaiian resort. And it is a bunch of rich assholes being rich assholes. But it's a Mike White thing. And it's really, really well acted. Now that I'm talking about it, did I go through this whole thing? I don't know. A little bit. You kind of did, but it's fine. I guess I kind of did, did I? Well, I can supplement this with another one, too. In fact, I'll add a little one on the end here, too. So, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. I fucking hate those big resorts. I'm allergic to them. They're so upsetting, and everything seems wasteful and way too expensive and just annoying. It's not that I've never been to anything like that, but I know some people are like, if we're going to Hawaii, we have to stay at this resort. I hate that idea so much. I just never want to be a part of it, really. And this series, I think, encapsulates every reason I've ever had why I hate those resorts. I think it's great. My, in case I did talk about this before, I have another what's popping real quick, which is it's a puzzle. What's popping? There's a, a puzzle constructor. His name is June Pock, J O O N P A H K. And he does a kind of puzzle called a rose garden, R O W S garden, and then a bunch of variety puzzles. You can subscribe to a weekly puzzle for him for 30 bucks a year for both rose garden and his variety puzzles, which take various forms. This guy is like, he's an awesome puzzle constructor. I love these rose garden puzzles. Basically, they're a bunch of little hexagons where you can write the clues across, but then they also wrap around. I'm never going to be able to describe what this is in a coherent way. I'm looking at an image of it. Yeah, look at an image of it. Rose as in R-O-W-S garden. He is like the master of this form. It does it so well. If you look for his puzzle blog, you just subscribe to it and he emails you a puzzle every week and it's going to a, you know, a constructor. He just is doing this and he gets all the money as far as I know. He's a great constructor and I'm trying to find interesting indie puzzle constructors to support and enjoy the work of. There's a huge community of such people and he's really doing incredible work. So look up June Pock and buy some puzzles from him because he's great at what he does. Fabulous. Cool. I think it's time to move on to our final segment. Does anybody need to take a break? That's the final segment? (laughs) It should be. You know what? That's a great idea for a segment on this podcast. It's called, Does Anybody Need to Take a Break? And then it's five minutes of us going, no, but really. Do you really need to not take a break? Are you sure you're okay? Are you sure? And then when the segment's over, someone goes, oh, wait, I got to take a break. 
Exactly. It's exactly right. Or just like five minutes of silence. You know, in the past, we've done some quote unquote, a little pissing music. I feel like in that Mm -hmm. vein, you know, whoever's not taking a break, they chat amongst themselves. It's something. Yeah. Right. Final segment. Our final segment is called Peaches and Lemons, which is three part gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And the theme song goes right here. Boom. That's what we do. And this podcast, Rob, just so you know, we always say, and the theme song goes here, and then we put the theme song in in post. That was a sweet theme song. Yeah, right. It was very good. Sorry, just real quick since you mentioned it. What did you think of the What's Poppin' theme song? I like the part where it was like, pop, 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 pop. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Cool. God, that suggestion is better than the current What's Poppin' theme song. I strongly disagree, but- Brian. We're entitled to our opinions. Pop, 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 pop. Well, maybe we'll have to put that in. There you go. All right, so we'll each do one lemon, which is a mild bummer or a grievance. Who's got a lemon? Oh, we start with the lemons. Rob, this podcast is about one thing, relentless positivity. And (laughs) Except for the lemon part. Except for the lemon part, yeah. And except for the first hour of the podcast every week and the last hour too. Yeah, but Brian and I are just well known for being relentlessly positive people. I know. That's right. I know. That's our vibe. We're walking thumbs ups. I definitely know Brian is that, and I'm getting to know you as that right now. Yep. Excellent. Brian, lemon? Rob, lemon? (laughs) Anyone lemon? I do have a lemon. It's a pretty big one, but I'll say it anyway. So you might have heard about Hurricane Ida, which recently swept through parts of the country and in my case, destroyed a large number of childhood memories that were in a basement in New Jersey. And I lost all my old Infocom games, which I'd been saving for 35 years, a bunch of letters and photos and stuff like that. Was I ever going to do anything with them? I don't fucking know. But they got subsumed under four to five feet of water last week and got junked along with some furniture. Like some stuff did get preserved. It wasn't like we lost everything in particular, my uncle who is an artist and gave us a large number of his paintings. Those are all fine, but there's a bunch of stuff that was important to me that got destroyed. And in a way it's cathartic because now I don't need to worry about it, but in a much larger way, I was very, very disappointed to lose this stuff. And as well as, you know, my sister lost some stuff as well. That's a bummer. And in fact, more than I did. So, you know, no one got hurt. We are very, very lucky. There was no major damage to the home. People are all fine. And that's the most important thing. So we are not real victims here in the way that some people are. But it was nevertheless a bummer to get a call that, hey, there was so much flash flooding that it ate a basement. So that's my lemon this week. It's a big one. It could be a lot worse, but definitely a hard hit. Damn. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. It was crazy how everyone was like, is New Orleans going to be okay? I hope New Orleans is okay. And then like the East Coast took a lot more damage, it seemed like. Yeah, I think so. More deaths. Yeah. When did this hit? I stopped looking at the news and I stopped looking at social media entirely. And then I just miss major events. When did this happen? Maybe a week ago today, last Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. I can't quite remember. It hit Louisiana like a week previous to Sunday, I think. And then the beginning of last week, it worked its way up the coast. 
Yeah, like you said, Rob, people were aware the thing was coming, but you know, no one expected insane amounts of damages. Just like the New York City subway flooded, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, the videos looked like the Sandy videos. Right. Where it's just water is just dumping into the subway. Yeah, I don't think it was quite as bad, but still bad. Wow, awful. It was on like the exact anniversary of Katrina, so all the focus yeah. was on New Orleans. But they actually rebuilt their levees and they held, apparently, so... They came out relatively okay. Yeah. And I think it wasn't as strong down there as they thought it might be, too. I think it had weakened a little bit by the time it hit mm. New Orleans. Ugh. Anyway. Rob, lemon? Well, if you thought that was a big lemon, I'm only on the show once, so this is a very general uh, lemon, which is just basically my complaint all the time. is just the slow but sure way we're all turning soft and stupid and handing over our humanity to horrible software. Trading privacy for convenience, baby. Oh, yep. boy. Looking at you, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, literally everything. That yeah. was exactly yeah. part of why I couldn't get into TikTok, because they were like, TikTok has this new fancy special algorithm that's really good at serving you exactly what you want and tracking your profile. I'm like, oh, God. Yep. It's gross. I recently made a second attempt, and it's actually been holding this time to turn off autocorrect on my phone. Nice. And I actually, I did a Twitter poll. I don't do a lot of Twitter polls. One thing that was holding me back is uh, having to type my own apostrophes. <laughs> That's sort of the best feature of autocorrect uh -huh. is it does that for you. You know how it is. It's always changing what you say. And you're like, I did not mean that. And it's like, yes, you did. And you're here like arguing with this robot. I hate it. That yeah. supposedly yeah. belongs to you. And I did this poll. I said, well, should I succumb to the robot or struggle to be human? And struggle to be human won by like two percentage points or something. So, all right, good, I'm doing it. And that was a while ago. Just a couple of days ago, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm happier for it. The flip side of it is now I have to pay more attention while I'm typing words. But I should be paying more attention while I'm typing on this tiny little miraculous thing in my hand. Like, to do that, to me, feels so much better than arguing with a robot who thinks it's smarter than you. But so much of our lives, we increasingly have less and less choice in the matter. Yeah, The uh, toilet flushes when it thinks it's time to flush. I could go on and on, but once you start seeing it, boy, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. And also, the robot can't write. The robot is a bad writer. The robot doesn't know how to write well, and it's so upsetting when it thinks it knows better than you. Yeah. And also has no sense of comedic timing or typography. And sometimes you don't want shit capitalized for a fucking reason. That's the number one reason it's always off for me. On tiny phone, Rob, I have a really, really, really little phone. Oh, wow. What is that? Uh, it's a Palm. It sort of acts like a smartwatch for your big phone, but I like uh -huh. only use this now. But yeah, the capitalization, I have to run. I need everything lowercase. That's just the way it has to be. Yeah. It's a specific tonal choice. Don't you dare capitalize shit on me. Yes. Well, can I say autocorrect is boomer oppression. <laughs> it is blatantly boomer oppression. It was created by boomers and it forces us to write like they write when we don't want to write like they write. Rob and I are Gen X and we'll tell you, we're not going to take it anymore. That's right. That's right. As D. Snyder said, we're not going to take it anymore. We're making a stand and we're drawing a line.
That's right. Thank you for taking a stand. Yeah, look, I think this is not even a controversial stand. We're going to capitalize what we want to capitalize. We're going to punctuate what we want to punctuate. And we're not going to let your rules, man, dictate our vibe, typographically speaking. Another good one is when you got the GPS on and someone else is driving and you know very well it's better to go that way. Oh. The GPS says to go this way. They're going to follow the GPS every time. Or yep. oh yeah, if they follow your advice and you turn out to be wrong, you idiot, I'm never listening to you again. If they follow yep. the GPS, that turns out to be wrong. Oh, that's weird. Oh, well, now I did this. Okay. There's this insane trust in the Borg yep. that uh, it's going to lead us in the right direction at all times. My favorite GPS thing, which is so inexplicable to me, is the thing where this happens and you have an instinct. You're like, I think I should turn here. Whatever. It says it's going to take 20 minutes to get there. You turn and then it says like 16 minutes. And you're like, fuck you. I knew yeah. it. I knew I was right. How come you didn't know that, you smart motherfucker? Yeah. Isn't this literally the thing your algorithm should be checking is if turning here is going to help? How come you didn't know that, idiot? Like, Oh, it makes me so mad. And I feel so vindicated when I'm like, I don't want to wait for 20 minutes trying to turn left up there. I'm going to turn at the light and make it go faster. Oh, it should know that. But maybe it needed you to go the other direction for the greater good because you were going to cause traffic in the direction oh, you wanted shit. to go in. You know what? Huh. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. When you start taking like specific side routes when there's traffic and then you realize that there are like five other people who are using ways and it's giving the exact same, like go down the side street. And it's like, this is going to take longer now because we're all here. Yes. There's no sweeter thing though than ways or whatever, redirecting traffic through a rich residential neighborhood and they get really mad. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. I really, really love it. Surely you've driven through neighborhoods that have signs outside their houses, which basically say, stop driving through our neighborhood. And you're like, how are you going to fucking make me stop driving through your neighborhood? This is a public street. <laughs> I'm in a yeah. car. You're not in a car. <laughs> yeah. Watch what happens when you stand in front of my car. You're not going to win. Car wins. So yeah, I agree with you, Rob. My lemon is that my coffee maker is broken and this oh, is a no. devastating blow for me because it's one of those things where like my tap water is so shit that it's just like all of the gunk is in there. I've tried descaling it multiple times. Oh. Still like it won't even pull descaling solution. And then I checked the website to see if I could just get a new reservoir because that's clearly where the problem is and it's sold out. So oh. fuck you, Ninja Coffee Maker. God damn you. It's a great coffee maker. It's a great coffee except maker. Except for right now where it doesn't work. And then I keep going to the same cafe every day and I know they know me now and it sucks. I don't want to be a regular anywhere. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. I am a regular at a lot of places. Just forget my face. I don't want you to know my order. No, I'm anonymous. You can't see me. You should wear a face mask, like a full mask, like my ninja mask, but go barefoot. So they start to recognize your feet, but not your face. It'd be like bird watching. Yeah. Like, oh, that lady was in here. Additionally, because whenever I leave my apartment, I just look like fucking shit. Like, I've given up on fashion. <laughs> and I, I'm wearing, like, I would show my feet right now. I won't for obvious reasons. But, like, my outfit today was whack. And it's like, please don't recognize me by my distinctive shit clothing. Anyway, that's lemons. If you think about it, a coffee barista always gets people at their worst, don't they? Kind of true, yeah. All customers that haven't had their coffee yet. Yeah, very true. And if you look super cool going to a coffee shop, you shouldn't be there. 
Yeah. Go somewhere else and look cool. Coffee shops aren't for looking cool. Don't make me feel bad while I get my stupid latte. We don't need that energy here. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Okay, peaches. I will start because mine are all really short. My first one is just the general, when you have a dog and then your friends interact with your dog, it's just really nice. It's nice to watch your little critter just pal around with your friends, especially when you have a dog as cute as she's not there. She's around somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully alive. Oh, that was a good throw. Adorable. <laughs> Thank you. I really thought she was going to be there because <laughs> she usually is when we record. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's just a delight. Like, she's so cute and she's so, like, cuddly and loving. Like, everyone's instantly her best friend. My second peach is that hung out with a friend outside. We looked at some turtles. We laid under a tree. It's also a friend and creature-related peach where it's like, it's nice to look at turtles with your friends. Yep. It's just zen. I love watching a thing swim around. And it's like, man, turtles don't know what a job is. That's great. I like it when they stick their little necks out because they kind of look like dicks when they're just like, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's one of the dickier things an animal can do. <laughs> I like I like stuff that looks like dicks. Yeah, who doesn't? I'm going to let that hang. They're dicks. And then my last peach is Brian, because on this show, you mentioned that Cuphead is one of your favorite games of all time. I was like, shit, I should get on this and I should play Cuphead. And I've been playing Cuphead and Mm -hmm. I'm not used to enjoying video games, you know, like I can't play a lot of them because I get motion sick. And so to find a game that I really fucking enjoy is so great and I'm loving it and fuck Beppy the Clown. (laughs) Yeah, Beppy's rough. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. To me, Cuphead, I could just listen to that music all day. The score for that game it's is amazing. like, I think, one of the greatest video game scores of all time. It's just incredible. And I'm glad you're enjoying it because it is extremely difficult and extremely fun. You know, I'd get frustrated occasionally, but I loved it. It's never like I want to quit. It's the meditation on failure of I expect to fail. If I make it, then that's great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm on aisle two right now and just all of them are... I can get them on simple, but regular, oof. when the little penguins come out with Beppy, it's like, oh. fuck you guys. Are you serious? That's the worst part. Absolutely the worst part. We got the coaster. We got the penguins. We got the baseballs. And I also got to hop around after doing all three other phases. Like, fuck you, dude. Did you upgrade your weapons at all? That's a big part of it. Yeah. I've been using the chaser and the little, the red one yes. a lot. What's your favorite boss in that game? Well, it depends what you mean, but if it were talking about design or play, play probably i really like god it is so hard to pick a favorite for me the genie is a big one i really like the genie i think those phases are are pretty great yeah the weird like coffin tongue yeah the dragon sucks it's so hard but there's some really really great stuff in there oh i know sorry hands down favorite boss the moon hildeberg yeah that's mine too so far it's just so cool incredible music. It's so cool. You get the Zodiac signs. It's a really, really stunning. And the animation is is just fantastic for that one. Yeah, it's a delight to look at. And when you fuck up, it's like, oh, cool. Well, I just get to see this fun animation again. Like as much as I'm hating Beppy right now, the animations on that one are so good. Have you done Baroness von Bonbon, who's right there at the beginning of aisle two also? (sighs) Yeah, I have not gotten regular, but I've gotten simple. When the waffle explodes, like, can you not? Can you not do that? Rob, have you played Cuphead at all? No. This is all gibberish to me, but it sounds entertaining. It's very fun. Just go listen to the Cuphead score by, I believe, Christopher Madigan is the guy's name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just look it up. It's all like 
1920s, 1930s big band stuff, and it fucking rules. All played by live musicians. The theme song's great. I love King Dice's song. Anytime there's a villain song that's just like, this is my name and here's my deal, it's yeah. it's automatically incredible. I like how King Dice is obviously also Walt Disney, <laughs> like very clearly modeled on being Walt Disney. It's fucking great. All right. Someone else. Rob. All right. Since I'm only on the show once, I'm going to go pretty general and open-ended. By the way, you can come back just to let you know also. Well, I'm not on the show as many times as you guys are. Let's say Okay, that's true. That yes. So I got to make them count. <laughs> First of all, Peaches, just uh, you guys having me on the show and in general, just Aww. doing stuff and interacting with people, especially uh, this last couple of years, as we all have, I think, invested into our uh, sort of home lives and dug in a little bit and got very comfortable with, oh, yeah, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. It's good to remember that. Yeah, you do need people. You need to be out. And it just sort of in ways that it's hard to understand why. It's just feels good to be out talking to people and doing stuff. Yep. Sometimes I get in a habit of, boy, I'm glad I don't go out. What do you do? You go out, you just look for the bar and you find your friends and then you wait in line for something and then you get drunk and go home. That's dumb. Who wants to do that? But somehow in there, their actual like human interaction happens that's enriching. So it's good to not lose track of that. Totally. Second one, I guess, is very related to that, which is I'm very glad to have something to look forward to in this album coming out September 21st. Hell yeah. And the subsequent tour that we're doing around the entire United States in October and November. I love it. You know, as a younger man, it was just something I did. Yeah, you just be in a band and you do stuff. But like every year that goes by, I'm just more like, oh my God, I really rely on this to have like mm -hmm. a focus it's what staves off like depression or whatever. Like I've never really experienced depression. And I think it's because I have always something that I'm working towards that I'm looking forward to that's like a project. And the band is just successful enough. We're in this interesting place between being, uh, we're definitely not getting rich and we're not even really making a living off of it at this point, but we have a success in that tickets are sold and people are interested in waiting for us to arrive which to me is yeah. just like, that may be as successful as it gets. You know, if I think about what am I in it for, it's it's that. It's somebody else cares that you're doing a thing. So super uh, grateful and happy about that. And then number three, just to go a little more generic again, and this is a deliberate peach trying to be deliberately uh, appreciative of my health and just feeling healthy and feeling good. I actually, a few days ago, I got some kind of a stomach bug and had a horrible 24 hours. Oh, no. And I'm much better now. But you know how it is. Whenever you have any kind of, even a cold or anything, you get in this state of mind where you can't remember what it was like to, like, be healthy. And you're like, what is life? I don't understand. You look at other people and you hate them. <laughs> And then when you get back better, you're just like, you forget about it and everything's just like normal again. When really we should be going around and be like, oh my God, I'm alive and healthy and there's no pain. This is amazing. Yes. Another thing I think about a lot is my uncle who passed away several years ago. You know, you call him on the phone. He'd always harp on He's like, how's your health? How are you doing? Is your health okay? You're doing all right? And your lady and your daughter, you're all healthy. That's good. It's the most important thing, health. And for a long time, I thought, gee, my uncle sure is a health nut. But it was the exact opposite. His health was terrible. He had all these problems. He was in pain all the time. Uh -huh. 
And so he wanted to like pass on this message to other people of like, take care of yourself and be healthy and maybe appreciate it while you are healthy. So health, it's not just a thing. I love it. I had that feeling because my phone, the terrible thing that photo apps do, where it's like, uh, you want to see five years ago today? And it's like, under no circumstances do I want to see that. I do not. But I got the notification, today is the three-year anniversary of me getting cholera in Mexico and almost dying. Oh, my so God. So you have wow. a memory. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Oh Thank my you. God. Thank you. Cholera. Yeah, yeah. I got the Oregon Trail disease and almost died. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I feel like there's enough distance now. Like when that happened and I got back home, my phone put together like, here's a fun little video of your trip to Mexico. And that video is funnier than I'm ever going to be in my life. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. it's just like jaunty music. Like, here's yep. some fun stuff. Like a little acoustic guitar bop. <laughs> oh, me crying in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> Maybe I'll post it. I don't know. I'm sorry if I make this promise and then I don't post it. But <laughs> At least send it to me because I really want to see it. Have I not showed it to you? I've probably seen it. I don't clearly remember it. Oh, it's so good. Like, I really want to see it. Anyway, glad to be not having cholera. Yes. Me too. I'm just going to go ahead and be glad for myself that I don't have cholera right now. It fucking sucks, dude. I don't recommend nearly shitting yourself to death. It's not super fun. Well, also, what I was going to say, Rob, is you and I now are at an age where people our age are starting to, like, get very unhealthy and have legitimate, like, real problems. Yeah. And when I think of my own health, like, I have no major problems I consider myself very, very lucky because right around, I'd say right around 40 is when things can start to turn pretty rough for a lot of people. And I certainly have friends who are struggling with big stuff. And yeah, I feel like the older you get, the happier you should be to be in good shape. Mm -hmm. All right. My peaches. Peach number one. School started last week for Audrey and she's out of the fucking house and thank God for that. No, what I really mean is I'm happy she's having a good time. She is with her friends again. They're in person. They're masked. They're distanced. She told me her second grade teacher was, quote, the coolest person she's ever seen. And I was like, really? But she just loves this guy and is over the moon to be back at school. She got home from the first day and was just like raving about what a great time she had. At the end of the first week, she was like, school is so fun. I love school. It's awesome. She's happy to be back at school. So that was great. Peach number two. Got to see some friends this weekend in Santa Monica that I haven't seen in a while. We went to a little playground park, which had a water element to it. It means just like a little sprinkler. And it was lovely to see them. Audrey had a great time. She basically accumulated a gaggle of kids that she was doing a comedy show for. And she was walking around the park doing pratfalls. And she got this little audience that just started following her everywhere. And she fully put on a routine and was reveling in it. And so that was fun to watch. And it was just really great to see some dear friends we haven't seen in a while. Your tweets about Audrey's things, of course, everybody loves them, but it's also one of the timekeepers of the pandemic, I feel like. (laughs) Because she keeps getting older. We all watched it go from Audrey, five years old, Audrey, six years old, Audrey, seven, wait, what? Yep. (laughs) It's been marking the time for us. Yep, two birthdays during the pandemic, absolutely. And my third peach is just that, 
seems like LA is past the peak of the Delta surge here. That might change, of course. Who knows? It might go back up. But at least consistently, cases have been back declining after a significant, you know, after a few months or so, month and a half of increase. And I'm happy to be back on the downswing. I hope it stays that way. And I hope kids can get fucking vaccinated within the next, optimistically, I I think it's going to happen in the next two months. I hope so. And if the numbers keep going down and we can get even more people vaccinated, that'll be great. And I will be the first person in line to get my child vaccinated because these vaccines are safe and they fucking work. So I'm going to be very happy when that happens. And that's my third peach. And that's the show. That's the show. Rob, where can people find you online? And remind us when your album is out so people can buy it. Album is out September 21st in all the usual album being out places. If you wanted to support us the most efficient way by buying the album, you would do that on our Bandcamp page. You can search for Planet Booty on Bandcamp or you can go to planetbooty.org. It's not .com. You got the org. Damn. Well, we just couldn't afford the .com. Every now and then <laughs> I exchange emails with the guy who's trying to extort us for it. And uh, it's just too much. So planetbooty.org is fine. You know, just open your computer and just type Planet Booty uh, and hit return. You'll, you'll find us one way or the other. We haven't said the name of the album, which is very easy to remember. The name of the album is called Yes. 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 Not to be confused with Yes's classic 1972 album, Planet Booty. Planet Booty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fabulous. Oh, how I wish there was a Yes album called Planet Booty. (laughs) Well, there will be now, sort of. Yeah. Well, we'll get the surviving members to do it. (laughs) And by the way, when you're typing Planet Booty, you have to make sure to type the whole thing completely because autocomplete will not. YouTube won't complete it for you. It likes to pretend that Planet Booty doesn't exist. Same thing with Ninja Sex Party. You have to type Ninja Sex Party. For a while, it was auto-completing to Ninja Sexton Party. Oh, wow. Where it's like, what the fuck you? Come on. Sexton Party. Sexton, yeah. Or Sextant, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that would make more sense. (laughs) Very true. Oh, well. All right. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for being on here. It's been a while since we got to chat, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was delightful. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This this was fun and not nearly as difficult as I feared. See, I told you you'd be amazing. (laughs) Got him. Well, folks at home, take care of yourselves. As always, hope you're uh, vibing, thriving, and surviving. One day I will be able to say that without pausing and trying to remember what the order is. And I guess I'll give you a little bit of a stay safe, come hard, and I'll also throw in a fuck off. (laughs) Am I allowed to do that? (laughs) Can I make that the end of the podcast catchphrase? Yes. All right, everybody, fuck off. <laughs> I really love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. Can we get that clean? I interrupted. Fuck off. That's the end of the podcast. Bye. Bye. Now that is a great new catchphrase. <laughs> it's better it. than the cum one. <laughs> Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. 